Isaiah 42, verse 22, it says that, that this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They've become plunder with none to rescue um, and none to say restore. Isaiah 42, 22. So basically God's talking about his own people and he says, hey, many of you, he says to Israel, you're plundered, you're being uh, uh, looted, you're trapped in holes, you're caught up in prisons, and you've become plunder, and there's nobody to rescue you, nobody to say restore. And uh, sometimes, even though we are Christians, we find ourselves in holes like that, in prison like that, in traps like that, and just want to f- talk about some ways that we can free ourselves without much trouble. Some of that doesn't even need praying. So what I want to do is first talk about some of these simple ways that can keep us from harm and then talk about some of the ways we need to avoid so that we don't step into harm. So we'll do both to the extent that time will allow. Guys, um, some of the things we can easily avoid as Christians, not through prayer, but just through relationships or covenanting, and we'll talk about that, is stuff like spiritual famine. Have you noticed how some of us as Christians we go through these times of not having anything spiritual happen in our lives. Life feels very dry. Or times when doesn't matter how well you're doing, you feel like you're in the wrong place and nothing seems to work out. You just don't fit. Or you're led by people who are lame and blind so you hobble along and you walk in the dark. Or you find that you're working really hard, but you're producing nothing. There's a barrenness upon your life. Or you find that there's not sufficient protection. You pray, but you don't feel protected. Things happen where things are stolen from you, things are damaged. I'm not just talking about property, I'm talking about life. And God says, why should my people be looted and plundered? Why doesn't someone say restore? And these things can be solved not necessarily through prayer. There are much easier ways. And so the first one, guys, is... uh, And I'm going to use this word covenant. And all it means today is entering into genuine relationship. That's what I mean by covenant. Hey, Lorian's not here? Okay. Sorry, go ahead, Rhonda. Uh, ask Diana, she's going to come up with a heading for you. Solutions? Okay, let's go with that. How do we undo some of these things that happen in our lives which don't need to happen. We don't even need to pray about it. There are smarter ways than prayer. Where these are pathways to freedom, as the title of the page says. So I think that would be the way to go. (laughs) No, I should have seen that immediately. I'm asking Diana to come up with names for it. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to use the word covenant. And covenant means entering into genuine relationships. And so the first covenant that really helps, guys, keep us from some of these things I mentioned, 
is the covenant of fathers and sons. The covenant of fathers and sons. As in, Ryan, if he stays in relationship with Marcus, has distinct advantages where he will find protection, where he will find provision, where he will find wisdom in times of trouble, where he will find an ability to produce even when what he is doing is not working, where he will find counsel even though there is a famine of good advice around him. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and 6, critical verse. It's the last verse in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. And here's what it says. It says that, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. That part we get. But look at what it says next. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What it's trying to say, if you want to rephrase it is, Hey Ryan, as Marcus's heart turns to you and your heart turns to Marcus, know that good things will happen and no curse will fall upon you because you have learned now to enter sincerely into a relationship with your father. If that is what applies to a regular household, then Ephesians 3 says that the church is a household and that when you have a transgenerational connection, then you have a transgenerational protection. When you have transgenerational connection, you have transgenerational protection. As in, when fathers and sons, in the case of Ryan and Marcus in their home, or in a church like this, when fathers and sons begin to connect, begin to relate, begin to think and work together on truths, then know that you suddenly come into a place of great protection and provision. Is the scripture only meant to uh, apply to the Old Testament? Nope. In Luke chapter 1 verse 17, the very same scripture is repeated again when Jesus says that the fathers shall turn towards the sons and the sons towards the fathers. Guys, so how do you... Uh, uh, let, me, let me just stop and ask, um, allow you to ask questions before I go on. Any questions? It's hot, but um, somehow pay attention through the heat. Or else I'll take you all on a mission trip to India in May. Oh, Jeevan, we should do that. Take them to Nandigama in May. Right now it's 45 degrees. And sometimes the power goes off. And you just tell yourself, it is hot, there is nothing you can do about it. You have 3 billion sweat pores on your body, let them sweat. That's all you do. Um, yeah, so, so getting back to this. Guys, so in this house, for instance, every house must have a father. In this house, it happens to be me. And there will be other fathers in the house too. Where uh, as people are raised up as leaders, they behave as fathers to the others in the house. It, it has nothing to do with age. In fact, I was at Earl's um, two nights ago. 
and uh, Don was on this side and Derek was on this side. And the waitress came and uh, came up to uh, us and Derek said, oh yeah, we're just out with our dad, it seems. And the lady looks at me like, yeah, you look like their dad. It was highly <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> so, but, but, but that aside, guys, in a household there are fathers and sons. Guys, look at this. Numbers 30 verse 5 actually says that if a woman, in this case it's talking about a daughter, if a daughter makes a vow or an oath or a promise, then the father has the right to cancel it. Otherwise, whatever the woman said now holds good. So let's assume that, um, let's pick on, uh, let's pick on, everybody here is old. Most of the young ones are on the other side. I'm talking about the kids. So let's pick on Ari. So let's assume Ari makes a, takes an oath or a promise and says that if I win my BMX bike race, I'm going to walk across the road with my eyes shut. That's a terrible promise to make. And so now, in the Old Testament situation, once someone made a promise like that, the person would have to walk in that promise. The only one who had a right to break it was the father. So what's the point? The point is, guys, when you have this connection, you will find that many things in your life automatically break because the intervention of a father really helps you spiritually. You might think, isn't this kind of making you, Jacob, a little higher than all of us? Not at all. Ryan doesn't think of Marcus as higher than him. Ryan just looks at him as a dad who was placed on earth to help him grow. By the same token, a father's blessing is huge, eh? And so are spiritual father's blessings. When Joseph brought his sons Ephraim and Manasseh to Jacob to bless, Jacob does this. He doesn't bless them like this. He reverses his hand and he makes Ephraim greater than Manasseh. The point being that a father's blessing can completely in a day change your destiny and have you head a completely different direction. This is really helpful in terms of protection, provision, the breaking of bondages in your life. Any questions? Any disagreements? Any challenges? Is it hot? Oh, finally got a response. Any questions, guys? Okay. No, the point of the example is to say that it is very easy for one who is the father of a house to break what one may have committed oneself to, regardless of what it is. It doesn't have to be an oath. It doesn't have to be a promise. It can be just any state of being where you have committed yourself to something that has now become a trap or a bondage that is easily broken up spiritually because you have been connected to a father. Not, it has to come through relationship, through connection, through thinking and working alike. This is not something where it's a magic uh, key. It is through relationship. It is through relationship. So I can't go to Marcus and ask him for the same things that Ryan asks. 
because Ryan has a relationship with Marcus that is built over a period of time. Marcus can help me, but the relationship that Ryan has with Marcus is completely different. Because this bit is very important, entering into genuine relationships. Go ahead. Without the relationship, it actually says that when fathers' hearts don't toward, turn towards the children, and children don't towards the, uh, turn towards the fathers, then the land is struck with a curse. It actually says that. We don't realize this, guys. We think it's Old Testament. Our problem with this whole thing of covenanting with sent ones or with fathers or with the body is we are a fiercely independent people who find it very hard to choose to submit and two, we play the market because tomorrow there might be someone better coming along so why not go with them? How do I know this? Because I did exactly the same. So that's one way. Any other questions before we move on? Okay. The next one is covenanting with ones that are sent into your life. Covenanting with ones that are sent into your life. Covenanting with ones that are sent into your life. Covenanting with ones that are sent into your life. What do you mean by sent into your life? Where God sends someone. You're not part of a group. You're not part of a particular church. You're not part of a particular denomination. And yet God in his mercy decides, hey, I want to completely change your life, so I'm going to send someone into your life. So let's take Anson as an example since he's here. And since he's sitting in the second row or third row. Anything beyond the third row, I never pick on. But if you're in the third row, I pick on you. So it happens to be your lucky day, Anson. So, so let's assume Anson's come in here. And let's assume that today, before we came in here, I had this sense that Anson would come. All this is just an example. I didn't have any such sense. And so he comes in here. And God says, there'll be this guy called Anson that comes in. When he sits there, you've never met him before but I'm sending you to him and I want you to begin to say this, this or this or do this, this and this and it'll change his life. And so I go and do that and Anton now has a choice. He can either grab it and run with it or he can say, ah, that was a bad experience. Why did he pick on me? I should sit in the fourth row from now on. And that's the end of it. The point being, guys, covenant with sent ones and it'll change your life. We want examples. Elijah with a woman in Zarephath. So Elijah was at the brook called Cherith. It dried up. And God says, I am sending you to a widow who is in a place called Zarephath. Go to her. So what does he do? He goes to her. What happens to her? In the time of famine, that woman has no lack because she never runs out of flour and oil to make whatever she wants. The rest of the land is starving, but this woman's happy. Another example, Elisha. Elisha goes to a woman in Shunem. And so... God specifically sends him to the woman in Shunem and she brings him home. And Elisha saying to Gehazi, his servant, listen, we got to do something for this woman. And so he asks the woman, okay, what can I do for you? And she says, I got everything, I'm fine. He says to Gehazi, there must be something. And Gehazi says, oh, she doesn't have a son. So he says, call her. And he prays for her and she now has a son and it changes her life. Another woman who had uh, her husband had died and left her a huge debt. And God sends Elijah to her. We don't know where she is. She's just another woman. And she's got two sons who are being taken away as slaves. And she cries out to Elijah. Elijah is sent to her. What does he do? 
the oil starts multiplying till the vessels run out. And he says, go pay your debts, get your sons back, and live on this for the rest of your life. Want to hear another one? Joseph. Very clearly, in Genesis 48, I frightened you. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> Roxanne, I'm really sorry. I won't do that when you come back. Sorry. Uh, she really got frightened, man. Yeah. Pardon? I was a Joseph, yeah. Genesis 4... Thank God for that, eh? Genesis 48. Yeah, that's not how you build relationships. Just do exactly opposite of what I did. Yeah. Genesis 48. Very clearly in verse 20-something it says, Joseph is saying to his brothers, I was sent here by God ahead of time so that when the famine comes, you guys will not die, but Israel will leave a posterity on earth. Very clearly it says, I was one that was sent. And he says, only two years of the famine have passed. There are five more years of famine. The moment you connect with someone who is sent into your life, and you always know, guys, you always know when someone is sent into your life. You recognize it. You don't recognize it with your eyes, but something inside you recognizes it. And at that time, make sure that you open your life to God because God is sending that person into your life to change things and if it requires that you relocate yourself so that you stay connected to God through that person so be it relocate yourself because these are moments in time that can change the very trajectory of your life some take long some take less time some come to their senses Sometimes, guys, these ones that are sent into your life, they, they become to you protection and they become to the enemy uh, the chariots of Israel. It, it, there's this beautiful story in Second chapter, uh, Second Kings 6 where Elisha is with his servant and the Syrian army, has com- Aramean army has completely surrounded them. And the servant is like shaking in his boots. I think it was sandals, not boots. Shaking in his sandals. And he's saying... Master, master, look at all the soldiers that are around us. And Elisha says to him, uh, let me ask God to open your eyes. His eyes open and he says, look at those that are around us. And so Elisha becomes to the servant protection and he becomes to the enemy army, the chariots of Israel. Sent ones become to you protection and become to the enemy, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. It's a brilliant role to play, man. Any questions? Hey, if, if these phrases like sent ones, fathers and sons are not understandable, then ask. Because we did this ages ago, but if you don't understand it, ask and we can explain it. Sent ones are anyone who is sent by God into your life to represent him or to fulfill in your life something that God wants to do. Fathers are ones that God raises in a church who are not pastors or prophets or priests or anything. They have a heart of a father towards you and their only interest is, can I help Don become all that God wants him to become? I will do anything in my life and pour out my life into him to make him become like that. That's what fathers do. Then it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man. If that is your heart, 
then you become like a father. And that's what the church needs. The church doesn't need more pastors. The church needs ones who are interested in Anson and will say, listen, I know what God's shown me about you and I will do everything in my power to bring you up to there. I don't want you to take my sermons. I'll pour out my life into you so that you become the man that God wants you to become. That's what a father looks like. And those relationships, guys, can change your life. Any questions? Okay, the next one. Covenant with a people of God. Covenant with a people of God. As in enter into genuine relationships with a people of God. Most of us in in the churches we probably have been in the past have had relationships that were not necessarily intense, they were friendly. You kind of knew most people's first names and then forgot it every once every three weeks. But we're talking about covenanting as in entering into a genuine relationship with the people of God. Guys, remember this lady called Ruth in the Bible? She's not here today, is she? Oh, she's moving today. Ruth in the Bible, she was a Moabite, as in she wasn't even an Israelite. She did not know God. She was in Moab territory. Her husband had died. She's stricken now with poverty and the condition of a widow. And then you read Ruth 1 verses 2 to 4 and you'll see her saying this. Her first statement is, I will not leave you. I will go where you will go. Roxanne, you can come. I won't do nothing. all good we just made up yeah guys Ruth's adversity in the Bible was not dismantled by prayer Ruth's adversity in the Bible was dismantled through covenanting with another woman who was from the tribe of Israel when you covenant with the people of God you'll be surprised at how many things change for you When you covenant with the people of God, when you decide that I am going to be someone who will follow, who will connect with this particular group of people. It doesn't matter which group of people. If it's Acts 29, so be it. If it's somewhere else. But genuine covenanting with the people will keep you safe. We can't be um, prosthetic limbs, which when you go home, you pull out and put on the side. Can't do that. Can't be a wig. This isn't a wig. But you can't be that. Look at what Ruth says. Let me just read it out to you. I mean, this is from a woman who didn't know anything about Israel. Eh? She says in Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Then she goes on to say, Hey, that aside, wherever you lodge, I will lodge. So are you guys moving from Main Street? to uh, some vague street uh, in um, downtown Vancouver. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge, even though I'm scared to drive there. Uh, or uh, then she goes on to say, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's what I mean by covenant relationships, guys. 
Once that happens, you'll be surprised at how much protection you have. Some of you have come up for prayer, and I've, you've heard me pray this. I say, Father, I unfurl the banner that you have over this house, over this particular person. And I particularly pray that when sometimes um, the people that you expect protection from are not protecting you or doing you harm or not behaving properly, then I often pray that prayer that, Father, this person is a part of this house. I unfurl the banner that is on this house over this person so that your protection will be upon this person. It's almost like a place of refuge that you run to. In the Old Testament, they used to have these things called cities of refuge. Where if you did wrong, you could run there. They used to have altars where you could go grab the horns of the altar and no one could touch you there. Jesus then calls himself, I'm your refuge and fortress. I'm the cleft in the rock that you can hide in. When you begin to connect sincerely with the body, guys, just imagine this. Just think of this for a moment. I mean, this should just clarify this point so amazingly. Guys, when you got your Canadian passport, did it change the way you travel? You didn't need visas anymore, except to go to India and a few other places. But most other places, you didn't need visas. The Canadian passport suddenly gave you rights of citizenship. It changed the way you live. If a country can give you a 24-page document that can affect your life, what can a household where Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, dwells? Do you, can, can you imagine what that can do to you? In a city, there are many churches, guys. Choose any good church, but connect yourself that way, and you will find that all the good things in that church will be yours. They will percolate to you. Because if the coffee bean is good, the coffee that comes out of the percolator is good. Check the substance and the kind of beans you have and you'll get everything in it. Everything. If this is a house that believes in healing, this place will always be a place where people get healed. If this is a house that believes in the prophetic, it is impossible for you to come into Acts 29 and not be told what God's will for you is. If this house believes in strong teaching, you can be assured that doctrines here will have a certain sharpness to them. If this house has a casual attitude, you will find that you will also begin to develop a casual attitude. If your school affected the way you behave today, if the country you were born in affect the way you were today, if your family has affected the way you are today, you think that the house that God builds that you are a part of will not affect you, of course it will affect you. You will get all the benefits of that house. It will protect you. It becomes a canopy over you. Refuse to stay on the fringes, man. Dive into it. I benefit from this house, man. Everything that this house is, I benefit from. This house is not afraid of money. I'm not afraid of money. This house has healing in it. I've never had to go to a doctor. This house has the prophetic in it. I receive words from God that direct my path. This house operates by hearing. I've learned to operate by hearing. This house has an easy ability to relate to each other. I do too. This house takes ridiculous risks. I take ridiculous risks. This house has certain ways of functioning. I function like that. I have benefited from the traits of this house. It's in the DNA of the house. How will you not benefit? Begin to check, what is Acts 29 about? And if this is what Acts 29 is about, then I want all of it. And if it is not for you, then stay on the fringes.
I would go so far as to say, once you find out something, decide whether you want to be located in it or not. And jump in with both your feet. Because you won't drown, I promise you that someone here will come and save you. Because in houses like this, and in any church that is built like this, and is connected to God, I'll tell you. I'm talking about any church, I'm not saying Acts 29 is special. We have certain specialities, other churches have other specialities. There are some churches in Vancouver that serve the poor like we can never. They are specialists at that. And they are really needed in the city. We are just one room in the palace that God is building in Vancouver. It's like the king's palace. It has many chambers and rooms. But you better make sure that the room that you are given to build is built well. And whatever is provided there better be free for everybody. There are other rooms too. And God bless them. You connect like this and you will find that your life begins to benefit in terms of everything good and you're protected from that which is evil. You are protected from that which is evil. Any questions? You know, in Psalm 48 it says that we are the city of Zion. Psalm 48 verse 2, it says, Zion is a place, um, uh, what's that song? Wonderful, beautiful for situation, joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. Here's the intent. God is saying, hey guys, you are Zion, and Zion is basically a city where God rests. And what, it's not Jerusalem, it's not uh, Rome, it's nothing like that. It is wherever God's people honor him, there he rests. And it says, it's beautiful in elevation. As in, Zion is elevated above. Once you become part of a body that is connected to God, you will find that regardless of what's happening around you in the world, it does not affect you. Does not affect you. A thousand may fall at your left hand, ten thousand at your right, but it will not touch you. Economies will go up and down, but our economies are not controlled. Hey guys, do you know when we moved in here, do you know the rent we used to pay at the other place? We used to pay $1,800. You know for how much space? 3,600 square feet. $1,800. And then you know what happened? God said, come here. And you know how much space we have here? 1,400 square feet. You know how much we are paying? 4,000 bucks. Any pastor in his right mind would have said, let's not do this. Leaders who would have been in their right mind would have said, let's not do this. But God said so. And it didn't matter that we didn't have the finances. If God said do it, we would do it. And we are coming to the last month of a three year stint here. And I want to say that God is faithful. Amen. That not only did we go from 4,000, we went to 5,000. And God was faithful. And you were generous. Our economy in this church is not controlled by how things work outside. We have retirees here. We have widows here. The only rich person in this church is Derek. And yet, 
Yeah, Don, you didn't know that, eh? <laughs> Sorry, man, Derek, I didn't mean to betray your trust. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he, I'll tell you more about it later. <laughs> the point being, guys, this is not a rich church, but God is rich. And God has the ability to help us to be generous. You know, um, I was struggling with this whole London thing, eh? Because I'm traveling in May anyways. So I'm thinking to myself, why not go in May? Stop by London for two days. Because for, for ten days now, God's been saying, I need you to go to London. I need you to go to London. I saw it in a dream. I saw it in a vision. Someone else sent me a word uh, that uh, this person uh, lives in another country. And uh, I'm saying to the Lord, sure, I'll go. When I go in May, I'll stop there for two days. But I knew I had to go this coming week. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that'll be like a pretty large extra expense. And so why not couple it? And I knew I had to go next week. And I'm delaying it. I didn't tell anybody. I vaguely mentioned to Heidi that I might perhaps be away because I wanted to give myself the option of not going, but I knew I had to go. And so um, three days ago, uh, I'd gone to meet some people and um, after meeting with them, they said, so what are your plans um, in the coming weeks? Are you traveling anywhere? So I said, I'm surely, I'm, I know I'm going in May for sure, but uh, um, I might be going to London next week. I still kept saying might. And uh, then uh, driving away, I said, Father, um, if you want me to go, you've got to give me some kind of really green light saying go. And so little about two hours later, I receive a text. And uh, someone sends me a text saying, uh, we heard that um, you were thinking of going to London and we just feel like uh, we want to pay for the uh, tickets. I'm thinking to myself, boy, do you need a green light or what? <laughs> Pardon? How green is that? I'm thinking to myself, Father, I'm so sorry. I've been delaying and hee-hawing about it. And so um, what's going to happen there? I have no idea. But at least I know that he's behind it, so just go. Our economies are not controlled by our bank accounts or the condition of the world outside. God takes care. My mom's thinking, why can't you go when I go? And I'm saying, but i got to go this week. I, why are you going? I'm not sure why. It's a weird way to live, man. But this is what happens when you covenant with a body that lives that way. Let's go touch another one. Um, covenant with the prophetic covenant with the prophetic covenant with the prophetic covenant with the prophetic as in guys the prophetic that has been spoken over your lives can alter your life alter your future decrees that God has made over your life through people can alter your future but to be but but before you before you can function in the words you have received learn to dress right as in get your lives in order sometimes people think that just because you've received a prophetic word it's going to happen god says sure i want to make it happen but make sure you're ready make sure you're ready there's a parable in matthew 22 where jesus says a man went and invited guests to a wedding and a lot of guests came there, but there was one man who wasn't dressed for the wedding. 
and the guy who invited the guy for the wedding said how come you're not dressed for the wedding and the next line says the man was speechless for the prophetic to work in your life make sure that you're dressed right as in get things right with God you can have all the prophetic words said over you I can have tremendous prophets come and say amazing things over me but if I don't dress right as in I don't begin to live a certain way all those words are wasted because they don't sit well on me when Esther had to enter the presence of the king here's what she does chapter 5 verse 1 to 4 Esther dressed up she wore her regal queenly stuff and she waited there at the courts of the king outside knowing that the king would come and along comes the king and he looks at her and he says Esther and he reaches out his scepter towards her and he says what do you want you can have anything up to half the kingdom dress right and you will find that the words spoken over you will begin to come to pass do not dress right and the words are still on you, but they won't come to pass. Dress right. Covenant with the prophetic. As in, guys, break the silence before you break a curse. Break the silence before you break the curse. Break the silence before you break the curse. As in, if you have received a prophetic word, and your condition is bad. Begin to break the silence by speaking the very words God has spoken over you. What are examples in the Bible? Elijah, Elisha at Jericho. People come to him shortly after Elijah has been taken away. And they say, hey Elisha, just want you to know that the water in Jericho is really bad. It causes death and barrenness. And what does Elisha do? He takes a bowl, takes some salt in it. But look at what he does. 400 years of a curse that came with Joshua is still prevalent in Jericho and here's what Elijah does he breaks the silence first before he breaks the curse and as he sprinkles the salt he speaks and he says this water shall never produce death or barrenness again and it shall be healthy break the silence before you break the curse but for some strange reason we don't want to ah, who wants to talk God has said it we will just wait upon the Lord but he's already said it, break the silence before you break the curse. It could be, in which case, yeah, in which case, go back and find it out. Like if I, I mean, I've had to call people uh, who said words over me that I knew were of God, but I didn't understand it. And I'll call and I'll ask. I've called people in this church who have had words for the church and I don't understand them. And I'll ask them, what did you see? What did you feel? I want to understand it. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. I know that wasn't very profound, but... Um, here's what Mordecai says to Esther in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. He says to her, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. That's the cost of being silent. Mordecai says to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, Esther 4 verse 14, if you remain silent at this time, know that deliverance will arise from somebody else, but you and your father's house will perish. And so Esther decides, boy, I gotta speak. 
I put it down in my own words, God's intent, and I begin to say them. I begin to, I begin to speak them out. So, for instance, um, when we moved into this church and we had this thing called the State of the Union, one month into moving into this, not church, into this premise, I remember putting up verses on the um, thing. And one of the verses was from Isaiah 2.4 or 4.2. or 2.4. And it said, I will create a canopy over this place and it will be shade from the sun and protection from the storm and rain. And all, this, all these years, I've many times during a month, I will say, Father, I thank you for your protection over this premise. For you have put a canopy over this place. I begin to pray what God has said. Begin to pray what God has said. So that no harm comes. Yeah, it's agreement with him. Can two walk together except they be? Agreed. You begin to pray what God has said. That's the only real... There's nothing... Prayer is nothing else but agreeing with what God has said. Anything else is requests, desires, um, appeals, but real prayer is agreeing with what God has said. And you either agree. How do we agree here on earth? Grunts, nods, words. So choose one. Oh no, don't worry about it. Grunt as in, nod as in, this way. Words as in, yes! Yeah. So that was not important. Guys, the prophetic will wake up people. It will... <laughs> the prophetic wakes up people on your behalf. It removes wickedness. It revokes evil decrees. It obtains a good report. It transforms lives. It turns mourning into dancing. Imagine what happens with Esther. Same thing happens. The king wakes up in the middle of the night to go to the library and finds out that Mordecai has, is a nice guy. You should read Esther. It's a fun story. It's the only book in which God is never mentioned. And yet it is a completely God story. Crazy. The prophetic, once you begin to agree with and pray it, you will find that, gosh, God's moving on my behalf, waking up people. I would say there's almost, there are very few sitting here right now who haven't received a word from God in this church. Very few. Start there. We always want to know more about the future when we haven't dealt with what we already have. Last one. Covenant with sacrifice and seed. Covenant with sacrifice and seed. Covenant with sacrifice and seed. Guys, Satan knows the power of sacrifice. Satan knows the power of sacrifice. First Kings 18, verse 26 or 27. Elijah is on Mount Carmel. He's got 450 prophets of Baal, as in priests of this pagan god Baal. What do you think they're doing? Cutting themselves. Running around the altar. 
Sure, Elijah had said, let's see if the sacrifice works. But they wouldn't do it if they didn't know that it actually happens. It's common in other religions. I've been to places in Shillong, for instance, where they still offer animal sacrifices. Blood rituals are common. We, don't have, we can't do it here because city hall will have problems with all kinds of contamination laws. But in a country where they don't have that, blood sacrifices still happen. And so they're cutting themselves. Why? Because they knew the power of sacrifice. Second Kings 3.27 Israel has chased a king uh, of Moab, I think, and he is now in his last defensive posture. You know what he does? He takes his son, 2 Kings 3.27, he takes his son, who is supposed to be the next king on the throne, and he brings his son on the wall, and all of Israel is before him. They've set up a siege mount. They're going to take down this enemy. He brings his son on the wall, and he slaughters him in front of Israel. As a sacrifice, and Israel retreats because it says that the indignation of the people was upon Israel. Why was that done? Because on one hand, they used to believe in this god called Chemosh, which was a fish god called the subduer or the destroyer. And so they sacrificed their son to their god. On the other hand, Israel felt disgusted that one would take their own son and sacrifice his son, who was supposed to be the next king, on the wall to escape being caught. And so they retreated. Sacrifices have great power. Satan knows it. Surprisingly, we sometimes don't. How do you think you got saved? Through one sacrifice, once and for all. So how do we covenant with sacrifice and seed? Guys, there is power in sacrifice and seed to break bondages. Neither should be demanded, but both should be given. Neither should be demanded, but both should be given. Examples, 1 Samuel 25. David is really angry with this guy called Nabal. Nabal means foolish one. He's really angry with Nabal. And so what does Abigail, Nabal's wife, do? She packs donkeys full of food and drink and bread and fruit and she chases those donkeys to David. Why? Because she wants to offer that as a reconciliatory sacrifice to David. And you know what that sacrifice does? It spares every male in Nabal's household. David was heading to Nabal's household to slaughter every male. The death sentence on every male is revoked because of her sacrifice. Mary, John 12, 3, comes and brings a sacrifice. What is that sacrifice? Really expensive perfume. A woman of ill repute brings a sacrifice, shows love and honor as she bows before Jesus, pours the perfume on him and then begins to wipe his feet with her hair. A sacrifice or seed should not be seen as money, guys. It's the intent behind. When we only think in terms of money, we're being carnal. But when we see the motive behind it, you'll be surprised at how sacrifice and seed break bondages and curses. You know the first thing I did when I received this, uh, when these people called up and said, hey, we want to pay for your entire ticket. I went and took a portion of money, I went and gave it to somebody else, saying, I have received 
and I'm not going to keep it all to myself. I'm going to take off this and put it in someone else's need. First thing I did. Why? Because these principles are brilliant. They shed any attachment to things here on the world and they help you connect with God at a completely different level. Any questions? Any questions? Not only did Abigail revoke the death sentence of the males in her house, she actually ended up becoming David's wife. So it was a double whammy. Any questions, guys? Barnabas. Barnabas used to be called Joseph from... Joseph's a Levite from Cyprus. That was his real name. So what does he do? He sells his property and brings the money and lays it at the feet of the apostles. What happens after that? He progresses from Joseph the Levite from Cyprus to one of the teachers and prophets at Antioch to the guy who went and got Saul from Tarsus to the guy who the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Saul and Barnabas to an apostle who walked with Paul and they were known as apostles Paul and Barnabas and Paul to he, he covered half the world with Paul. It all started with the sacrifice of a seed. It is never demanded, but it is given freely. These are simple, easy, amazing ways to walk in such ridiculous freedom. And they are all ours for the taking. We don't even have to do anything about this. Go ahead, Diana. Hey, Don, can I grab some water? Sorry? He bought some property, so uh, he got his property, sold it, brought it, laid it at the apostles' feet. The very thing that he did ended up being his biggest blessing. He came, laid it at the apostles' feet. Why? Because how lovely are the, on the, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. So he goes and places it at the apostles' feet. What does he end up doing? How lovely are the feet of Barnabas upon the mountains, for he brought the good news to many others. What is the difference between sacrifice and seed? Um, they're very similar. They're very similar. Yeah, we need both. Um, A seed is something I sow, I can sow seed because I have them in my hand. I can sacrifice by taking seed that will cause me to starve tomorrow, but I would rather sacrifice it than hold it back. That's the difference. So let's assume I've got, um, let's assume I've got 10 bucks for the next two days. And so I can take two bucks out of that and give it a jillion, and that would be seed that I sow in our life. But sacrifice is if I take the 10 and give it a jillion, knowing that tomorrow and day after I may have nothing. But now I'm holding nothing back. That is the power of sacrifice. Pardon? Like the widow who took her two mites and that's all she had, but she gave it away. And so both work. Both are similar, but both work. Engage in it, guys. It always works. Always works. It always produces a harvest. 
always produces a harvest. Any questions? Okay, so here are some things that you can stay away from. I'll give this list to Chris. If you need it, you can take it from her. Things that we as a church should avoid and keep ourselves free from unnecessary bondage. One, stay away from satanic practices, submission to rituals, Eastern exercises and therapies. Stay away from satanic practices, as in any practice from other religions that do not have a biblical basis. Submission to rituals. Even when you go for a marriage or a ceremony in someone else's house or someone else's place of worship. Eastern exercises. Not all of them are kosher. If you want more info on that, ask specifically and um, we can give it to you. Be it acupuncture or yoga. Doesn't matter. And therapies. So that's one. Two. Do not step into territory that is dedicated to other gods unless you specifically hear Jesus Christ saying, I want you to go. Do not step into territory that is dedicated to other gods because I guarantee you, every religious place you go to will require of you some sign of deference. Either it will be remove your shoes as a sign of re uh, respect or it will be cover your head as a sign of respect. But there will be something in every religious place that you go to that will require you to show some outward symbol of respect and that is how you honor another deity. Or there will be something involved. Third, um, avoid items, worn, items that are given to you to be worn, food that is given to you to be eaten, uh, uh, costume stuff that is given to you to be adorned in that you know comes from a, 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 a belief system that is contrary to Christ. Avoid it. Someone was asking me recently, what about button blankets? Uh, button blankets are blankets that are often used in uh, First Nations ceremonies and uh, they are supposed to give the wearer the identity and the power of the um, spirit uh, symbol that is depicted on the blanket. That's the whole intent. This is giving you different examples. Next one, accursed items. Accursed items are masks, idols, artifacts, objects that come from places that you know uh, you shouldn't be taking. Next one. I'm sorry I'm going through this fast because it's 5.40 already. Normally we finish, uh, Renny's mom, we normally finish at 5.20. But today unfortunately uh, we are going long. Uh, mind blanking techniques. Mind blanking techniques. Or altered states of consciousness. Mind blanking techniques include hypnosis. Include hypnosis. Where you're supposed to stare at something till your mind is blank. Or you're supposed to chant some kind of a word over and over again till you kind of go blank or till you enter another state of consciousness. Avoid. Not avoid. Like hate with passion. Next, <laughs> opening your mind or your soul through meditation, through mantras, through channeling, 
through astrology, through palmistry, and through games, and through games. Many games today, video games, both at the kids' level and the grown-ups' level, allows you to take on roles that open your mind and your body and your soul to uh, being invaded by um, ungodly things. Uh, next one, out-of-body experiences through meditation or drugs uh, or sometimes dreams. If, if any of this is happening, you should come and um, we can easily ask God to set us free. Opening of the mind or soul through, sorry, outer body experiences through medica meditation, drugs, dreams that sometimes are demonic. Uh, next one, oaths, pacts, curses, promises entered by you or on your behalf by somebody else. Many times our parents sometimes dedicated us to deities or swore on our behalf things that should not have been sworn. And parents have a right to bless and curse. And unfortunately that sometimes happens. Next, um, false spirits of divination in the church. False spirits of divination in the church. Some churches you go to guys, strange weird things will happen that are not biblical. Run. Run. Next. Engaging the demonic using Ouija boards, water witching, and stuff like that. Any, if you've taken part in it, that's another thing that can be easily broken. The great thing is, we are experts at getting into trouble. God is an expert at setting us free. And we take longer to get into trouble, and God is very fast at setting us free. He can do it very fast. Next, role playing. Costumes that you wear. I mean, Anne and Elmer once had a situation where a lady was, a lady used to dress up as a witch. And um, that was one of her favorite costumes. And she's sitting with Anne and Elmer and they're praying for her. And at one moment, and before Anna and Elmer said, we literally declare that you cannot cross over or do any harm because we have the blood that Jesus Christ shed as our protection. And at some point this woman just screams and goes at them. But she can't cross this invisible barrier. One of the things she used to regularly engage in is um, um, costumes that she used to love wearing or witches. Guys... We don't have time, otherwise there are hundreds and hundreds of stories like this. But I'm just giving you this list and you can get it off Chris later. Just so you know that there are freedom pathways. One of the best ways to stay free is to not get into bondage. Next one, conversation with demons or with spirits of ones who have died. Because there are no spirits of ones who have died that are coming back. There are no ancestral spirits. They are demons. There are no ancestral spirits. My dad ain't coming back. He's dead. He died as a Christian. He's in heaven. God isn't sending him to give me any messages. Yeah, there are spirits that look familiar. That look familiar. So conversations with demons sometimes will take on the forms of loved ones who have died. Next one. Surprisingly, this might be controversial, but so what? Eating blood. Eating blood. The Bible prohibits us from eating blood. So, uh, just be mindful of that. Next thing. 
uh, entering into secret pacts or societies. Entering into secret pacts or societies. I remember going to Seattle once with another pastor, a group of Christians. So, um, Don and Jeevan, this brother pact that you have, we'll talk about it later. I know, I saw you turning to each other. I once went to a meeting in Seattle, all Christians, and we were there, and the guy had this great invention that he wanted to show us. But before he shows us the invention, he wants us to sign this secrecy pact that we won't um, talk about it. So I, I understand confidentiality agreements, but if it's not a business deal, I don't even want to go into a secret pact with anybody. If you can't tell me without trusting me, don't tell me. So, entering into secret pacts or societies, if you have gone to school and entered into Phi Beta Gamma Kappa Lapa, then uh, just deal with that. Um, that's the highest uh, order that you can be at the UBC. I'm just kidding. I don't know what it is. Uh, next one. Sensitivity to the spirit realm to the point where you begin to pick up um, stuff like, oh, someone's going to have an accident. Oh, someone's going to die. Oh, some earthquake is going to happen. If all you hear from God is bad news, then your God may not be the good news God that we believe in. Because if all you can think of is someone's going to die, someone's going to have an earthquake, and someone's going to have an accident, something is seriously wrong. The Bible is a Bible of good news. I bring you glad tidings of great sadness. No, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. God is a God of good news. So sometimes people who've had mums or dads or grandmums or granddads who've indulged in witchery and stuff like that are highly sensitive and they keep picking up stuff that is not from God but is from another realm. God deals with that very easily. He just breaks your antenna off and you stop hearing. Three more and we're done. Uh, sinful parental traits. Sinful parental traits. So for example... Sometimes we may have had a dad or a mom who was super angry. And you find yourself being super angry. It's a trait that you picked up from your parents. Or super sad or super this or super that. You now begin to cultivate the same trait. All that has to happen is one person has to rise up and say, I'm not going to be like this. And your children will never have that problem again. Otherwise you find generations of alcoholics. Generations of angry dads. Generation of adulterous parents. Why? Because nobody in any generation stood up and said, this ends with me. Yeah. A one person start can start a new cycle. Just like someone else started a vicious cycle, you can start a virtuous cycle. One person. Last one. Consequences of becoming one flesh with somebody. Consequences of becoming one flesh with somebody. If you engage in sex with someone other than the one you're married to, what often happens is two pieces of paper stuck with glue, super glue, when you part them, they never part clean. This person leaves his imprint on her. This person leaves her imprint on him. When they go home and to their marriages, they take into their marriages things from the past all of which are negative. Every negative trait that you could leave with, you now leave it. Because the Bible says when two have sex, they become one. The two become one. 
Unfortunately then, instead of just taking that into, just being one with your spouse, you now take into your marriages things from the past. All of this can be broken. All of this can be broken. Sorry I kept you long, but um, maybe I'll make up next Sunday by being shorter. But uh, being shorter, I can't go any shorter than this. Uh, guys, uh, when you get it from Chris, it also tells you the ways to undo all this, which perhaps we'll talk about next week. Um, and the first place you start undoing, it's James 4.7. James 4.7. Very simple. Jacob, want to undo something? Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Guaranteed. That's where you start. Any questions? What if the person who is doing all this doesn't want to be free? Okay. What if a person who engages in all this and now knows all this does not want to be free? Then um, don't waste your time trying to set the person free. Don't waste your time. Because uh, it's just going to be such a colossal waste of time. Yeah, don't do that. And then there are some who want to be free without receiving the freedom giver. I met a truck driver. What would happen to him is when he's driving, this force would make him turn his truck off the road. And sometimes his steering wheel would lock and he would go off the road. He was from another faith. And so he would go to different churches seeking help. Or different people. But his priest in a temple in India would know every time he went seeking help. And the priest would call up his family and say, your son or your husband is going seeking help from churches in other places. Finally, one day he met a pastor who um, asked if I could come and pray with him. So we went. And we told him that as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you will surely be set free. And he said, sure, I want this. And then I said to him, after you're set free, you can stay free for a little while and the same things that left you will come back because you got no protection. So the guy said, well, I want protection. So I said, all you have to do is receive Christ. So I said, well, I want Christ then. And so he received Christ. After receiving Christ, we prayed for him. And the spirit that was in him left immediately. And as it left, his hair, which was combed this side, moved this way. I'm not kidding you. But it left. Left him for good. And the guy was so smart. He said, Jacob, now here's what I want to do. Hi. See how nice I can be. So this is what, uh, th he said, this is what I want to do. And he had a ring that the priest in the temple had given him. He took off the ring and said, can you get rid of this? And then he took, off, took out all his old clothes from his cupboard that was given to him by this priest. I don't know how this priest used to know stuff. And so he took all the stuff, gave it to us. We threw it, we burnt it. And the guy walked free. Some need, some only want temporary relief. So they'll come to you. Well, Anne and Elmer and I went to someone's house where 
this guy's mum died and every so often when he's driving on the road his mum would appear in the middle and he would drive through her it would freak him out in the middle of the night she would turn up it was not his mum it was a demon and so he asked for prayer so Anne and Elmer and I went there we prayed and guess what those occurrences stopped but when we asked them if they wanted Jesus Christ they said no so it stopped for a while Sometimes what people do is, okay, I don't want Jesus Christ, but I'll wear a cross or I'll wear um, some kind of protection. That's like saying, um, I don't want Arnold Schwarzenegger to guard my house. I just want his shirt and his pant and I'll hang it on my door and that should keep everybody away. Doesn't do anything, man. Putting Arnold Schwarzenegger's shirt and pant or Superman's um, cape on your door don't help at all. Superman has to be in it. So a cross does not help at all. I remember one man, he was being, he, he was being, demons were being cast out of him. So one of the pastors took the Bible and put it on his head, thinking that this book would probably help. And a man took the book and flung it, man. Because this book is not what has power. It's not the cross that has power. It is the one who authored this book and the one who hung on that cross which is now empty that has power. So Father, we thank you that we serve a really, really powerful God. In fact, you are the only one who has power. Power started with you, ends with you. Anything else that has power, has it because you allow it. Anybody who has breath on earth, has it because you allow it. You allow it. You are so powerful, there is no comparison. So Father, I just bring all that we've talked about today. I pray that we be free and that we go and set people free. This church has been given a mandate to open prison doors and to set captives free. And to that end, Father, teach us, equip us, help us to dress right before we speak. Help us to dress right before we set people free. And Father, should we have these bondages in our lives, I ask, Father, that even over the next one week, we'll decide that we want to shed these things and walk into what we have. So we thank you for these freedom pathways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, if anyone has any need for prayer, there will be people here to pray.